guys doing good today? Wow. It was emotional on the first message, and uh, this one will probably going to be the same, too. And I'm not usually like Jeff, so. <laughs> right, honey? <laughs> really not. But just the songs that we sung today, the blood of Jesus and amazing grace. Wow. I better not go down that hole. But we're going to finish our series on Multiplied uh, this Sunday. And we've gone through Multiplied Freedom. We've gone through Multiplied Faith. And today I'm speaking on Multiplied Love. Giving with a heart filled with love. We're going to look at some verses in the scriptures and we're going to talk about that. Our memory verse says this in Psalm 40. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. He's multiplied his wondrous deeds. I, I can't put into words how grateful I am for God and coming into my life and changing my life. He's blessed my life so much. He's blessed my family life so much. It's amazing. It truly is. I was on the wrong path. I wasn't on that narrow road, but God got me on that narrow road, and that leads to eternal life. It was God's love that did that to me. I love that new song that we sung. I think it's a new song. I can see the love of Jesus in his eyes. As we are singing that song, I, I, I can see God looking at me and looking at you with nothing but pure love. And I'm going to tell you, church, we don't understand God's love. If anything I've preached my whole life is the love of God, it truly is. Because he loved me when I deserved not to be loved. And I came from a family that showed no love whatsoever. God is so good to us. But it is that love that has changed me. It truly is. And if you're a Christian, it's changed you too, hasn't it? And you're blessed because of that. Here's the question for today. How can we show God that we truly love him? How can we show that? One way is to give back what God's already given to us. And you want to know something, guys? He's given us everything. Everything you have, your family, your car, everything you have, if you're a Christian, it is a blessing from God. And what he wants us to do is to give back, to express our love to him by giving just a portion, a portion of our money. That's why we receive the tithes and the offering, to give you an opportunity to express your love to the God who saved you, the God who you will be with for all eternity, worshiping at his feet. We can say so much on the subject of money, we could do series and series. We could, we could make it a 10-week, 12-week series. A lot of people don't like that because they don't want people talking about those kind of things. Because it's such an important subject, and that's what money is. Hundreds and hundreds of songs have been written about it. Can't buy me love. Beatles said that one, didn't they? I love it. And then the good old Pink Floyd song, money. <laughs> I was thinking about we should cue that one up. That's a good one. And then the movies that have been made. Tons and tons of movie, right, on the subject of money. Money where it caused people to steal, cheat, and even murder. Even murder. You know, when detectives, they come in there, they want to know what the motive for killing somebody. A lot of times, it's money. They just want your money. It's not surprising, is it? Look at 1 Timothy 6.10. It'll be up there. It says, for the love of money is the root of what? All kinds of evil. 
murder, cheating, stealing. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. And did you notice, listen, money's not the problem. It's the love of it is what it is. It's the love of it. Money is just there. We have to have it to survive. We, we can't live without it, unfortunately. We get to heaven, then we don't have to deal with that stuff anymore. No more bills. That's, that's one of the most exciting things for me. I don't have to pay any more bills when I get to heaven. And I love that. I really do. But you know what it is? It's a heart problem. It's a heart problem when it comes to our money. It's a spiritual problem. That's what it is. Matthew 6.20 says this in the New American Standard Bible. It says, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. And then Jesus says this, for where your treasure is, there will your, what? Your heart be also. The heart again. We're going to talk a lot about the heart today because God's concerned more about our hearts than anything else, guys. He truly is. He's got great love for us from his heart, and he wants us to express our love to him with our hearts. He truly does. Proverbs 4.23 says this, another powerful scripture, and you know me. I love the scriptures. Guard your heart above all else, above all else, for it determines what? The course of your life. Your heart leads you where you shouldn't go at times. My heart leads me where I shouldn't go at times. Our heart's supposed to lead us to Christ. That's what it's supposed to do. This morning, I'm going to talk a little bit about stewardship. We don't talk too much about that, but today we're going to do that. We can do a whole teaching on that. It would be great. We're going to talk about what type of attitude we're supposed to have when we give to God. We're going to talk about how we give to God and why we should give to God. Why we should give to God. Let's all stand up, and we do this every week to honor God's word. And I better put my glasses on. If you got your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 16, or you can look up there. I'm going to read verses 1 through 2, 1 through 2 and then we're going to go to 10 through 12. So Luke 16 says this, and these are Jesus' words. Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling affairs. One day, a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, what is this I hear, excuse me, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you're going to be fired. You know who used to say that a lot, right? That's a joke, guys. You can laugh. And then verse, it didn't go over too good in the first service either. And then 10 says this. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches in heaven? And verse 12. And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. I thank you for your church, Lord. And I pray that this morning you would give us understanding, you would give us revelation. As I prayed in the first service, Lord, I pray 
that the hearts of your people this morning, that their hearts would be fertile to receive seeds of life today, Lord. That life would be imparted to them with your word, Lord, and that there would be change in their heart and in my heart, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you all sit down? We're all stewards. We truly are. I don't know how many of you have ever heard. How many of you ever heard of teaching on steward or stewardship? Yeah, not too many. Kind of at the first service the same way. See, stewardship involves managing someone else's property. That's what they do. And really, stewardship began in the Garden of Eden. I, I, you know, as I was thinking and preparing, I did a lot of praying and a lot of, man, studying through this. So one great thing about me not having to be a senior pastor anymore is I don't have to cram in my teaching on one or two nights. I, my wife's always going, are you still studying for this stuff? That's my beautiful wife right there. But I love it that I can do that. And, and as I was studying, I said, you know what? Stewardship really started in the Garden of Eden, didn't it? God created all these wonderful things, everything around her, and he looks to Adam, and maybe Eve was there, and he said, look, you're going to rule over all of it. You're going to be my stewards. Just take care of everything that I've given to you. You know that the Bible even teaches that we're to have stewardship of this earth, that it was passed on to Adam and even for us. You know, but there's a balance in, in, in all of that, and we don't want to go down that, that rabbit hole there. But Christians are stewards, and we're stewards of two things. Our life and our possessions. Your life and your possessions belong to God. That's what stewardship is. God has given you everything that you have. It's his. It's not yours. And Christians need to understand that. Psalm 50 verse 10 says this. For all the animals of the forest are mine and I own a cattle on a thousand hills. Did you get that one? He owns the hills too, guys. And matter of fact, it says the earth is the Lord's and everything that dwells in it is the Lord's. Everything belongs to the Lord. Everything. Everything you have in your houses is his. Everything you have in your wallet really is his. An Old Testament steward was a person who was very respected and it was a person with very high integrity. High integrity. He was entrusted with the master's possession. That's why he had to have integrity. How many times, I, I, I was watching TV a while back ago and, and, and some famous pop star or something like that have been ripped off of millions of dollars from the person basically who is a steward of their affairs. Happens all of the time. But that's what a steward is. They're entrusted with their master's possession. Their purpose is to do what? To please and honor their master. To do the wishes of their master. That's what a steward is supposed to be. And you and I, we're stewards. Every one of us who call ourselves Christians are stewards. Joseph is a great example of a great steward. He took care of Potiphar's house. He took care of all of Egypt. God exalted him to a place of taking and being in charge of all of Egypt. Pharaoh said, look it, whatever Joseph says, it goes. I trust him. He's done a good job with what I've given to him. That's why he was so trusted. Matthew chapter 25 is that great parable of the talents. The talents, remember that? That story there? 
It's where the master entrusted five, two, or one talents. In the New Living Translation, it says that he entrusted five bags of silver, two bags of silver, and one bag of silver. The one guy with the one bag of silver, you guys remember what he did? What did he do with it? Buried it. Wasn't too smart, was it? And what did his master say? Hey, at least you put it in the bank, I get some interest. We don't get interest today, but, you know, you get hardly anything. That's why you're all in the market. But Luke chapter 16, that we're looking at right here, okay? 10 and 12 teaches us that God gives more to those who, have, who take care of his things wisely. Did you get that when we read that? That's what Jesus is trying to teach them. He's trying to teach that God will give you more if you take care of things properly. If you don't take care of things properly, God's not going to give you more. That's just how it is. Listen, you wonder why Christians, some Christians have more than other Christians? Could it be maybe that they take care of God's things a little bit better than the other person does? I, listen, I've seen some people take a, do a terrible job at taking care of the, the things of God, stewardship. And they usually end up with very little. Our master, our father, he's too smart to, to let a person take care of things and they're just going to just squander them and, and not do good things with it. Now, God's not stupid. He really isn't. Well, what do you do? You say, man, Randy, I, I'm not a good steward. Well, we'll become a better one. Become a better one. How many of you guys know Dave Ramsey? You guys ever hear him on the thing? Yeah, a few of you know that. Before that, there was a guy named uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Larry Burkett. Somebody mentioned Matter of fact, Stan told me afterwards about Larry Burkett, and I said, yeah, that was the man. You want some good practical understanding about finances and about money management and all that? Start listening to Dave Ramsey. I know he gets a little pushy at times. You know, and he kind of hammers people pretty good, but that's okay. Maybe their life will change because of that. And you want to know the second thing you can do? Start reading the Bible. This Bible speaks so much about money, it's unbelievable. It's incredible. Turn to the book of Proverbs. I love Proverbs. I've been reading Proverbs my whole life as a Christian. I, 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 boy, I, I, I crammed Proverbs into my, my kid's life when they were very, very little. Man, this, this, book, this book will change your life, and it'll, it'll help you to understand what you're supposed to, supposed to do uh, with your money. It's full of wisdom, full of money management. You know what tells you don't get into debt? Some of you are in debt, and you're, you're so far under debt, you're dying because of all of that. Get out of it. <laughs> That's what I'm telling you. You come talk to me, I'll tell you, get out of it as quick as you can. My wife and I are debt-free. Totally. It's unbelievable. My son's trying to, to move in that, in that direction. My daughter is debt-free. It's wonderful. So much freedom for all of that. Took me a long time to get there, especially with the house. But Luke 13 through 15, look at this. It should come up there. It says, this is Jesus' words again in the same section. He says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. <coughs> Excuse me. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve what? Both God and money. You can't serve them both. The Pharisees, who what? Dearly loved their money. They loved it. Heard all of this and scoffed at them. 
That's what people do when they don't want to hear things. Then he said to them, you like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your what? Hearts. He knows your heart. He knows our hearts, guys. What this world honors is, de- de- excuse me, detestable <laughs> to the sight of God. Amazing. It's God or money. You're either going to hang on to one or you're going to hang on to the other. You're going to be devoted to one or, or to the other one. Let me tell you my story. And this goes way back when I first gave my life to Christ, some 40-some-odd years ago. And it's just kind of my journey. You know, this is the journey of the church. It's my journey when it comes to the attitude of giving and to the way I looked at, at money because it was very, very different 40-some-odd years ago. I didn't give any money to support my local church. I really didn't. And uh, I didn't do that because I didn't know that was an important thing for me to do. I didn't do that because I had a young pastor. It was his first pastorate. He was 25 years old. My wife's smiling. He wore a three-piece suit. This is back in the old Jesus movement days, and all he had was a bunch of hippies there. We all had long hair and sandals and I wouldn't want them in my church, but, you know, <laughs> I'm only kidding you. But he never taught on it. And I don't know why he didn't teach on it. I don't know if maybe he felt like he didn't have a grasp on it, although he really, he, matter of fact, later on in his ministry, he wrote a book on financial freedom, which was powerful that I read. So you know what he did? He brought in a seasoned teacher from the movement, from the denomination that I was ordained in. And I'm going to tell you, that guy taught on finances and giving, and it was great. It was a great, great message. Matter of fact, he might have even came back two weeks in a row or something. I don't know. But you know what happened to me? I got convicted. In other words, that word means I got convinced. I got convinced that if I truly loved God, that I needed to start giving. I needed to start giving. See, I needed to be a, a doer of the word, not just a hearer of the word. And, and you see, the amazing thing about this, guys, see, you're hearing this today. Maybe you never heard it before, and I didn't say this in the first service. But once you hear it, you're obligated to do something with it. It's kind of like, you know, the laws of the land. You know, every year, you know, there's new laws for driving and stuff. Guess what? You, if the guy stops you. The cop stops you. And say, well, I don't know that law. He sits there and goes... I don't care. And he signs it off and hands it to you. That's not what it is with the scriptures. You need to know it before God holds you accountable to it. You hear what I'm saying? So I got convicted. I needed to obey because the Bible says that if you love God, you're going to obey him and you're going to obey his word. So I had to do something. There needed to be action on my part. To show Jesus and to show God that I truly, truly loved them. Action was required on my part. Listen, just saying you love somebody doesn't mean you really love them, does it? People can come right up and say, oh, I love you, brother. I love you, man. Remember that commercial? That was a great commercial. Date my time there. But it doesn't really mean much. It really doesn't. My wife and I got married a few years ago. Only a few, right, wife? And I told her I loved her. And I told her, and I vowed to her I would love her until death do us part. I truly do. 
Well, that's fine. But I'm going to tell you something. Words aren't enough, are they? It's not enough for my wife either. It's not enough really for any wife. They want more than just mere words. And some of us, we just need to tell our wives that I love love them because that's an important thing too. I don't tell my wife I love her enough. But I vowed to her that I would love her. And it was important for me to do that because actions do speak louder than words. Loving her involves me giving of myself and my time to her. And like I said at the first service, I fail her miserably at times. I really do. I'm not a perfect husband. I really am. I wish I could be, but I'm not. And I fail my wife miserably at times. I truly, truly do. And God kind of nudges me and says, that's okay, I love you. And she kind of loves you. (laughs) Just do a little bit better next time. Matthew 22, 37 says this. You must love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. You see, my attitude, my approach, my feelings, my thoughts, my mindset when it came to money and my finances and giving to the Lord, it wasn't biblical. It wasn't right. It wasn't what God was calling me to do. There's a lot of pastors and a lot of churches that don't speak on finances. We don't speak much on it. And we find it in the scriptures and we get into it or like we're doing a series here. We do. And some pastors and churches don't do it. And you know why? Because they feel like they're going to offend people. And if they offend people, they'll leave. I heard a professor one time say, boy, you want to empty your church, preach the word of God. Seriously. I want to tell you something. You know what this Bible does? It offends us at times. Right? What does being offended mean? It means somebody says something you don't like. You get offended. Well, the Bible says a lot of things and tells me that I'm supposed to do a bunch of things. I don't like that. I really don't. But that's okay. It would be irresponsible for us as a church and for the teachers that we have in this church not to teach on finances. Irresponsible. It truly would. And we don't want to be irresponsible because God's going to hold us accountable. He truly is. Whoever stands up here and preaches is held accountable for the words that they say. And that's scary. It's an important subject, guys, and it really does need to be taught on. After hearing that teaching, when, when that man of God was speaking, I'll tell you what, I concluded that I loved my money more than I loved God. Just like Jesus said, you're going to love it, love him, or are going to love money. I, all of a sudden, I got very convinced that I think I love my money, Lord, more than I love you. That was a hard thing for me to come to. It truly was. See, God was beginning to change my heart, and, and sometimes that process of changing our heart, it takes time. It's not a come forward and boom. That can happen. It truly can. But most of the time, it's a progressive thing that happens. As the truth comes in bit by bit, then our heart begins to change. Our heart begins to get chiseled a little bit from the hardness or or the things that aren't right inside of it. You see, God was changing my heart because my treasure wasn't in the right place. It really wasn't. 2 Corinthians, we're going to head over there. So that's stewardship and a little bit about attitude. Let's look at a plan for giving here. Second Corinthians, and we're going to read uh, 
chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. <clears throat> then we'll jump down a little later. Excuse me. I really don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem, for I know how eager you are to help, and I have been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you in Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin to give. Here's the background. The, the church in Jerusalem had thousands of believers, and there was a lot of very, very poor people in the church. And somebody came up with the plan. I'm sure it was the Holy Spirit told somebody, nudged somebody, said, you know what? Receive an offering for them. Help them. And that's what he had gone forth. Paul was coming. He was going to send somebody to receive offering, receive finances to bless their brothers and sisters that were in Jerusalem. Did you see there where it said that they were eager to give? When I was that young believer way back then, 40-some-odd years ago, I wasn't eager to give anything. I really wasn't. It says that they were enthusiastic to give to others. That's amazing. I, I love that. I'm going to tell you something. I worked hard for my money. Wasn't there a song like that one time, working hard for your money? <laughs> I don't know where that one came from, but it's there. I was a union carpenter at 19 years old. Man, I, I'm telling you what, I sweat and, and bled for the work that and the money that I got every week. I wasn't giving it up. My parents weren't givers. They didn't give nothing to nobody. They didn't give anything to me. <laughs> but these guys were, man, they were eager. See, giving is an act of releasing something of value, and money is valuable. If you don't think it's valuable, give me some now. I'll take it. But like the Pharisees, see, you don't have to be generous to give. You really don't. They gave, but they gave because they were legalistic in what they did. They felt they, they wanted to look good. That's why they did it. See, a generous person gives willingly is what they do. Let's drop down into verse 5 here, and, and here's some great understanding about what money is all about. This is what Paul is speaking to them. Verse 5, so I thought I should send these brothers ahead to, of me to make sure that your gift is, that you promise is going to be ready, but I want it to be a willing gift not one given grudgingly. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a what? Generous crop. You must decide in your heart, there's the heart again, how much you give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to what? To pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty leftover. There's leftovers to share with others. As the scripture says, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be reminded forever. And then 10, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide an increase, excuse me, he will provide and increase your resources. I like that. And then pro a produce of great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when you take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from the ministry of giving. That's what he's been talking about. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met. 
and they will joyfully express their thanks to God as a result of your result of your ministry. They will give glory to God for your generosity to them and to all the believers will provide that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. Wow, that's a mouthful, huh? What does that teach? This is what it teaches. It teaches that money is like a seed. I didn't have a seed or I would hold a seed up here. Can you see the seed? I'm holding it in my hand. Right there. If it was a mustard seed, it'd be really, really small. But he's trying to tell them and teach them something profound. That money is like a seed. That's what it is. One of the first books I ever read when God was stirring my heart uh, about giving was this book called Seed Faith. And it was just telling us, start throwing out seeds of faith and, see, and seeds of money and see what God does. Well, it teaches that money is like a seed. If you want a crop, what's he saying there? Throw out seed. If you don't want a crop, don't throw out any seed. Some of you here today, you've got no crop. And you know why there's no crop? Because there's no seed being thrown out. God can't make kind of, well, I shouldn't say that. I was going to say, God can't make nothing out of nothing. Well, he can, but he wants seed being thrown out. That's what Paul's saying. He's encouraging them as they give, God will bless them back. And God will even increase the seed you have, and there'll be more and more blessings. He teaches in verses 8 through 10 that God will provide all your needs. But it's conditional. You've got to give. If you give, then God will take care of all of your needs. And all means all. And there'll be leftovers. You like leftovers, John? All right, there you go. I don't like leftovers. We don't have a lot. But leftovers. And listen, as I was studying this, a very serious thing. God kind of spoke to my heart. You know, I said, well, did you hear an audible voice? No, I don't hear an audible voice, but I hear God speaking. And what he said to me was pretty amazing. He said, as he looks at his people, he says, so many and so, so many of them give more to Starbucks on a weekly basis than they'll ever give to me. And I went, wow. Wow. And I don't think the father's heart was very happy about that. My wife is because she works for Starbucks. <laughs> so keep coming to Starbucks and keep her employed. Okay, she's only got a few more years and then she, she's going to retire. But that's what, amazing, isn't it? Verse 12, that giving as you give, it meets needs. We got to turn the lights on here. We got to be able to pay for things. And just like that first church that I was at... I, 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 I think mysteriously, this is how stupid I was. I was just a teenager. I just figured, I don't know, I guess they give it to us for free. We get to be in this building and everything. Well, it's not free. So it meets needs is what it does. That's what he's trying to teach them. They had a need, so they had to give. And it causes people to joyfully give thanks to Jesus. Verse 13, it, it, it causes people to give glory to God. In other words, they're talking about God all the time. Don't you want people talking about God, how great he is? Sure you do. We all want to do that. Well, how do you give? And that's tucked away in there. We're going to go through this pretty quickly. One, you decide in your heart, verse 7. You decide in your heart how much you want to give to God. That's what you do. What percentage you want to give? That, that's up to you. I started with net 10%. That's what I did. Then I went up into net, or then I went up to 10% of, of the gross that I did. That was a big step. That was tough for me. It really was. We taught our kids to do that. Our kids have been doing that since they were about five years old. And God has blessed their lives just richly for that. 
Well, some of you might have some excuses like I had. I said, hey, wait a second, man. You know, that tithing stuff, that's, that's in the Old Testament, man. I'm a New Testament kind of person. You know, we were Jesus freaks, so, you know, we always carried our Bible and saying it was, well, let's go to the New Testament. We didn't want to read much in the Old Testament. But you want to know something? Really, you see the first example of tithing even before the New Testament. You see Abraham. You guys know who Abraham is, right? He's the father of the Jewish nation. You know what he did? He went out to war, had these gigantic spoils, just, he just man, God blessed him. He won this thing. He just had tons and tons of stuff. He meets this guy. You know what his name is? Melchizedek. He's the king of Salem. You know what Salem means? Peace. And he gives him 10%. He blesses him with 10%. There's a great example of, of, of giving 10% away to God. Again, like I was saying, you know, being in that Jesus movement thing, we didn't, we didn't even pass the baskets back then. That wasn't cool to do that. We'd have a box in the back is what we would do. I don't know. It's a crazy thing that we did there through all of that. But the other excuse I had was that, you know, the New Testament doesn't teach it. It doesn't teach it. And guess what? I think it's only mentioned once or twice in the New Testament. But it doesn't teach against it either. Luke 11 says this. What sorrow awaits you Pharisees for you are careful to tithe even to the tiniest income from your herb garden. In other words, if they had 10 little herbs, they'd give one to God. And they'd go to the next one and they'd give one to God. But you ignore justice and the love of God. You should tithe, he says. yes. But do not neglect the more important things. We're going to talk pretty soon, going through the book of Malachi again, going through the scriptures. We're going to talk about that whole principle of, of, of tithing. If you want to hear, figure out when we're going to be doing it and stuff. And uh, it should be a great teaching. You see, this is my belief. My belief is that the New Testament teaches liberality. It teaches generosity. We should go even beyond all of that. We're not supposed to be misers of our finances. Remember, our money is God's. Our possessions are God's. Remember Scrooge, Christmas Carol? I love that guy. I torture my, my family every year. We watch this musical version of it. Any of you know the musical version? It's awesome. I love it. Isn't it great? Oh, I love it. I can start singing the songs right now. That's how much I love it. But you know what happened to him? He got born again. You say, what? He got born again, didn't he? He really did. He was a miser. And all of a sudden, boom, he gets born again. And the next thing you know, he's giving money to everybody, taking care of Tiny Tim, getting a big fat turkey, you know, and the whole thing. It was awesome. I love it. So we decided in our heart we're supposed to do. Secondly, we set aside. We set aside something to give to God. And you decide what it is. I'm not going to tell you that. You decide. And don't use it for anything else, though. What I started doing is, you know, I'd work hard for my money, I'd get my check, and, and I'd go, okay, there's, I'm going 10%, all right. And I'd write the check out, and I'd set it aside. That's a good practical way to do it. Once you set it aside, you don't get to take it back. Let it hang out over there. I know some of you will be tempted to grab it, but just let it stay there. It's God's. Third, we need the right attitude. That's so important. Again, it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. God says in 5 and in 7, it says you give willingly, not reluctantly, not half-hearted, not grudgingly, and not under pressure. Listen, I'm not pressuring you today. 
Journey doesn't pressure people to give. That's between you and God. It truly is. In other words, I'm not, I'm, I'm not preaching guilt upon you. And that's what a lot of TV evangelists and those guys do. They preach heavy guilt on people to get their money. That's not what we're doing. But that right attitude, you know what it says? We give cheerfully. Cheerfully to God. I didn't do this in the first service, but Jeff said I had a little bit more time. I had a friend of mine. We called him Foam Rider because he was a surfer. You guys get that one? Riding surfboard? We were all surfers and stuff. And he radically saved. This guy would kill you if you looked at him wrong or cut him off on a wave. So I never even got close to this guy. He got radically saved, changed. He, he, he used to beat people up. Radically saved, started giving to God and stuff, and then all of a sudden, he got mad inside it, and in his heart, he didn't want to give anymore. He was just upset. He just, I don't know. I don't know what was going on, but something happened. And I remember we went to Pastor Ralph, our pastor, said, man, my heart's not right. And pastor looks at him and says, then don't give. If you can't give with a cheerful heart, don't give. It's got to be a cheerful heart. When I write out that check, it's cheerful. I say, God, I love you, man. That's why I want to do it. So decide, set aside, right attitude, and then be consistent. Give regularly. Make it a habit. Weekly, every two weeks, monthly, whatever it might be. I, I don't know, but make it a habit. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10, and we're getting ready to wrap this up, <coughs> says this in the New American Standard. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce so that what? Your barns will be filled. Your barns will be filled. Some of your guys' barns aren't filled. And your vats will overflow with new wine. You see, that's a promise. God, again, is saying through his word, trust me. You give, I'm going to take care of you. Why is it so hard to give? I think there's two main things. We kind of hit on the first one. The first one is that money's got a grip on you. It really does. It's for so many Christians, it's still their master. Just like me and my story, remember? It was my master, and I didn't even know it. I loved it more than I loved the Lord in my giving. So maybe that's where your heart is today. Maybe you need to, to wrestle with that a little bit. I'm going to tell you guys this. If God doesn't have your purse, if God doesn't have your checkbook, if God doesn't have your wallet, he really don't have your heart. And those are my words. Isn't that what Jesus was saying there about loving God? And listen, know the Father's heart. Okay, he's, he's not trying to beat you into doing something. He's trying to love you into doing something. That's what he's trying to do. And then here's the second thing. And I think a lot of people get, are at this place. There's fear and there's worry that they won't be able to take care of their bills. Fear and worry. Say, man, Randy, I, I'm barely making it. I mean, I, I can't give God nothing. But yeah, you're down at Starbucks spending five bucks for a nice Starbucks drink. You gotta trust God. Maybe it's, maybe it's time to to, to quit worrying and, and remember what Matthew chapter 6 says. Jesus said, hey, don't worry about any of that. Seek ye first the kingdom of God as righteousness. I'll take care of all of it. Don't have to worry about those kind of things. Quit worrying. Quit worrying. 
And as we close this thing up, listen, there's some of you here today, and I don't know who you are, but there's some of you need to give your life to Jesus today. That's the first thing you need to start with. You got to give your life to Jesus. And he's ready. Listen, he's ready to receive your life right now. And he's going to give you eternal life when you give him your life. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and all you got to do is just follow me in that prayer, say it in your heart, whatever. And God will bring you into the kingdom. He really will. But I know God's speaking. I really know it. I powerfully know that God's speaking. We've had three weeks on this. That God wants to multiply freedom in your finances. He wants to multiply faith in your giving. And he wants to multiply your love in giving to the Lord. And for some of you, he's telling you, look it, just trust me. Throw some seed out and see what I do. He's the, he, he, he's the one that makes it all come to life, doesn't he? Let's close our eyes, everybody. For that person that needs to know Jesus, for maybe many people that need to know Jesus this morning, I want you, want you to follow me in this prayer and believe it and say it in your heart. And then I want you to share with somebody that you did that today. Come up and tell me that you received Christ. Father God, I know that I'm a sinner. I understand it. That guy up there is making sense. And I know I need to give my life to you today. And I do, Lord. I take that step. And I want you not just to be this Jesus guy that I have heard about. But I want you to be my Lord. And I want you to be my Savior. I thank you for the blood of Jesus that makes us white as snow. And today I receive your forgiveness, Lord. I receive that. And I become a child of God. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. For loving every one of us in this place, Lord, in spite of ourselves. Thank you for promising to take care of us, Lord. Take care of our every need. That we seek you first, Lord. We give, we honor you, Lord, from our first fruits. Help all of us to be consistent, willing, and cheerful givers. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen.